Welcome to Book Club. Today is a fairly intimate and probably quick discussion um, about this month's pick, which is Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer, um, <clears throat> which was a documentary uh, voiced by Natalie Portman, who collaborated with him on it. And it doesn't have really a bl- well, blurb. It says, I simply wanted to know for myself and my family what meat is, where does it come from, how is it produced, what are the economic, social, environmental effects, are there animals that it is straightforwardly right to eat, are there situations in which not eating animals is wrong, if this began as a personal quest it didn't stay that way for long. Jonathan Safran Foer's Eating Animals is the most original book on the subject of food written this century. Mm. <laughs> Quite a grand statement. Uh, it will change the way you think and change the way you eat for good. Um, and the documentary came out in 2017, directed by... Christopher Quinn. Quinn, yes, who did something called God's... He did another documentary before this okay. that I have somewhere that I don't remember now. Um, I actually watched the documentary before I read the book, which didn't, I feel like, make huge difference on my opinions. So they're two very, very different. Yeah, so also to notate that the book came out in 2009 and then the film came out in 2017. So in the film you have a lot of sort of what's individuals you meet in the book, sort of what's happened since then and not necessarily positive. Okay. Did you like the documentary? I mean... I did, but having read the book first, okay. I was I was missing. Although I know in a documentary you can't quite take the same perspective, but I missed in the book the foundational uh, personal yes anecdotes anecdotes and what it means individually, yes. which to is a what person. it is. It's an individual relationship, which is what you really get in the book is about, which he states in the end as well, your relationship with food is a million different things, it's not whether or not it's moral, it's, you know, cultural, it's social, you know, religious as well, an element of it, it's a lot more complicated. I very much appreciated the whole start of the book, uh, talking about his grandmother Grandmother at the table, and what it used to be like to be a young boy experiencing times when family would come together, gathered around food, and all of the, the baggage that food had for his grandmother coming from a certain background. Yeah. And how that, that shapes you. Cost, yeah. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of our memories, I think, are inextricably linked yeah. to food, because food usually also means family. And, and you maybe remember. positive or negative, you know, depending. Right how plentiful and the sort of what, how people, you know, the love associated with yes. it and those relationships. You know, his, his love for his grandmother and her stories made whatever she made the best thing he could eat, yes. it, even if it was a really simple thing. Um, which I kind of think he, he kind of sets himself for failure in that he says, you know, food is a very personal thing and it's about a million different things in those relationships, but in the book he's just like too bogged down by like 
putting himself in these really visceral situations of just, you know, confronting, watching these animals die, and he's like, I can't eat anymore, it's not right. I was like, yeah, if you stare at animals being slaughtered constantly, of course you're going to, like, not be able to have any positive associations with eating meat. Right. It, I'm not always sure that the the situation is one of black and yeah. white. It's a, he grapples with it a lot yeah. during the course of the book. I like that he initially states this is not a screed against being a carnivore. Well, or it's not trying to make you a vegetarian. A but vegetarian. Also, I think he's lying about that when you get to the end of it. Because mm. he, in the book as well, he tried, they tried in the documentary, he talks to individuals who try and do sustainable farming and conscious sort of farming and end of the process. process. Yes, and sort of try to fight against factory farming. But at the same time, he can't support them either, which I found really weird. So, But I think in his very final statement, he does address the, the conflict directly yes. by stating ultimately, for me, it doesn't work. Yeah. I I need to be a vegetarian, but he but he he doesn't completely ignore or disrespect the people who are trying their best within a very difficult field mm-hmm. to try to be as humane as possible. The idea is, at the end of this, an animal will be killed. I just felt like I needed other voices besides his. Because I felt like even at the beginning he was already strongly strongly against eating meat. And it came through a lot in sort of his discussions with people for me. So, you know, because... So you think he was always operating from that bias? Yes. And I needed someone who wasn't, you know, I read the book. I've been a vegetarian before and I have not. And I'm not currently. And it didn't make me want to be a vegetarian. I already under- knew, I've seen enough documentaries as well watching the slot learning process in the documentary that I wasn't surprised I knew that's how it happened um, so I didn't feel that shock factor I did read one review that was very critical of him thinking as if he's the first person in the world <laughs> to have gone to have gone to these places slaughterhouses yeah. abattoirs and he's wide-eyed, awed by what he sees. Like, no, you should have been paying attention a bit more. I, I knew about this stuff when I was a kid. That's why I was 10 years old when I saw the PETA documentary. That stuff has been around for ages. They've been doing that for the last, like, 30 years. Right. Which I think he maybe does a disservice to them. Like, he doesn't... I feel like he doesn't credit the people who have been doing this advocates and activists. He, he talks about PETA a little bit, but people who have been... And they, I think they talked about more in the documentary who have been trying to infiltrate. Right, and been it, engaged. Whereas he kind of takes the credit for like revealing and changing things. When it's really, there's been a lot of people who have been risking their lives and really you know, doing this a lot longer than you have. It seems, uh, I don't want to say it's a cliche, but this idea of using the birth of his son as the way to open his eyes again yeah. to the world. I, th- I think a lot of that work, if you are a, a conscious human being, conscious human being, you would have been at least somewhat aware of it. Yeah, it's, it's taking kind of place. 
hard to be oblivious. You have to really make a point not to, you know, I think in most media you do hear about this stuff. It's not not talked about, I think. Mm. I know that I've, I'm not actively engaged in PETA or any, yeah. other, any other, I refrain from calling them militant groups, but activist groups. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I'm unaware. Yeah. Uh, of we, this happening in the world. We all know why KFC is like an evil corporation <laughs> and how horrible, you know, you should not eat that chicken. <laughs> I mean, the, the things that he does cover, and it, it, uh, the speculative qualities are things that we probably should all be thinking about with public health issues, environmental yeah. issues. Well, just, just the spread of disease. The spread of disease. But also, and also because this happened after the book and also in the documentary because it's very American based and it was remember a few years ago when there was the horse meat that they found was it beef or it was beef or, well, there was the whole mad cow disease well no it was in England they found it was like five years ago I think maybe they found horse meat in like a bunch of beef in Europe and there was the whole crisis and sort of better monitoring obviously um, and it really brought into the media, media talking about when you buy cheap meat, you're sacrificing a lot. And you essentially are not owed the right to know what's in your meat because you're not willing to pay for good quality. So you, it's, it's about making people rethink that. And I think because these events have been happening, people do think about it. And it has forced the hands to some degree. And, you know, Mad Cow. Um, there well, has been things that have happened. And as he mentions too, it, uh, I think mostly due to activist groups like yeah. PETA. Not uh, him, necessarily. No. Made society that the um, the awareness of it has grown and has, it, but it actually takes the awareness from the public then infiltrating into fast food restaurants, as he says at one point. The only time that one of the only moments when there were some changes made or a slight shift is when fast food restaurants started to demand yeah, better quality better quality meat and they were doing that only because of a public okay. outcry and there was also i read an article that you know they don't take into consideration like in i think it's in britain mcdonald's I think the majority of their meat is like free range, which obviously can mean a lot of different things, but the fact that they're making, even if it is, is it great? Just making, forcing the industry to take some sort of standards, essentially, because it's so unregulated otherwise. Well, I, I thought it was interesting too, near the end too, where he says that... Uh, when he's talking about the table? Well, everything, even quite apart from people trying to activate an awareness yeah. is that the actual way that this is structured, uh, this kind of farming, yeah. is ultimately unsustainable and will in and of itself implode. implode. Yeah. And that it will probably then just naturally shift back, shift back to a, a more free range, free range and more uh, husbandry, yeah. Yeah, that old style, traditional, and it might become more independent again. But I think, cause they, I don't think they talk about it in the book, but they talk, well, they talk about it a little bit, but in, more so in the documentary, they talk about the, the waste from the pig farms, 
and the huge environmental impact. So, you know, there's the issue with regulation of farming, but then the fact that you're poisoning the land around these towns, I think definitely had larger repercussions and are forcing, because you know, when the people who are living near these farms are getting sick because there's this excess waste coming yeah. off of it. Well, you, you, can't, you can't tell me that you can't contain over that. the course of years that hasn't drained into the soil, that it hasn't dispersed into the air. Yeah. And as he, as he says, when he conducted some of his research, that it shows that in some of the towns very but closely above these farms, factory yeah. farms, uh, kids suffer tremendously from asthma more than the the average. It was interesting in the documentary to see one of the men who's uh, who were studying and investigating those pools, yeah. the pink lagoons, yeah. was talking about the sores so, yeah. that have opened up on his and his family's farms. farms. Yeah. Immediately reference what's we, on the pigs. We saw the pigs and the yeah. chickens. So that has bled, and nobody can be Deny that. ignorant of that. But, yes. And especially the people who live in these yes, communities. But again, too, you've got you've got that bias there too of them being there. This this idea and assumption that they're poor yeah. folks. They don't deserve to be right, yeah. and so uh, and necessarily the but they will fight them back. The urban gaze is not going to be <laughs> turned their way to help them in their plight. But also, there's you know organic food and like soy food is the fastest growing aspect of you know consumption, and you see the increase of demand from restaurants and consumers to have, and it's also I think it's because. Um, I, you can't, I don't think you can deny that people having allergies and asthma and, and food intolerances and the rise of people having, you know, being gluten, having gluten allergies and other f bizarre food allergies is because there's so much um, sort of uh, altering of meat and testing of it. And I think there's a definite relationship between that, which has also increased the demand of organic products because people can't consume what factory farming is producing because it makes you sick. Right. right. And it's been documented that yeah. people are People 40 years ago sicker. didn't have these allergies though because they, they didn't have all this sort of toxic stuff being put into their meat. Right. Well, in, a, in, in a larger sense too, this, it's the story of industrialization. Yeah. It's the people getting farther and farther removed from the natural mm -hmm. environment. Yeah. And, but again, as he states too, it, it's uh, a reductively romanticized view that everyone's going to turn into a vegetarian. So you do have to confront the idea of how do we do this? Which I don't think because he does it, enough of. He doesn't confront, like, what do we need to do, though? Because he can't do it because he can't believe in Paradise Locker Farms and all those right. people. I think that's why he gives, in the latter stages of the book, uh, uh, more regard to people's testimonials yeah. who are directly involved in the industry who are are trying what they can do. I'm not sure that he's able he's not the right person himself to actually uh, advocate for that. Yeah. 
because he doesn't believe in right. animals. Right. So, but I do respect the fact that he gave those people the the time and the space within this book to offer their viewpoints. But I, I know that for him, so I think he states after some of after we've read some of them that I can't solve the contradiction here. These people, especially the the, the woman, the wife of one of. Oh, Nicolette. Yeah, Nicolette, who yeah. has come in from being a lawyer from yeah. big city in New York, New York, who's a vegetarian herself, yeah. and you know she's she's grappling with a lot more yeah. immediate things because she's trying to see a very expansive picture. Yeah. How can I Beyond be a vegetarian with within yeah. this field? And all that means for her, and she she doesn't not acknowledge the fact that d despite how we raise our animals here, yeah. that there is a final moment that is not going to be clean. Perhaps. I wish, um, I mean, that you can't like be morally pure though. Like, you can't just, it's a gray area. It's not about eating meat and not versus not eating meat. You can't make that argument. It's not, it doesn't work. Um, but I kind of wish the documentary, because I think it's a really interesting thing, and I don't think people really realize there's much talking about the slaughterhouses. Because I had no, I have friends who like have farming families, and yes, they can raise the meat correctly in sort of a more um, free-range way. But the problem is that because of regulation, they are not able to slaughter the animals. They have to send them to slaughterhouses, which have completely different regulation. And you have no, you know, like when they were interviewing the one slaughterhouse, you know, you don't see how they're being killed. And that changes, that can change everything in the quality of the meat, if you know, if how violently they're being, you know, you see in the documentary some of the footage of them, of how they're killing the animals. Right. And the, I think it's twofold. You know, there's the farming of how they're raised, and then there's the actual killing of the animals, which are people don't realize. Which are, is never not going to be horrible. Yes, it's, it's going to be bad. Like you <laughs> can't get around it. Right. That final moment. But there, it's it's two different things, which I, people don't, I don't think, realize. So it's two different systems that you have to work mm. with. I mean, the only way that that and uh, is it Frank. In the, in the novel, or in the novel, in the book. book. Who? Oh, the uh, turkey one who lost his turkey. Right. But, they, but that he, only happened in the documentary. You didn't see that. They didn't talk well, about that in the book. So in the, in the book, they, it took him to the point where that final slaughterhouse that he was using, yeah. that was independently owned, had just been purchased by a corporation. Yeah. So, of course, the whole structure was going to change. Yeah. And he didn't have the knowledge anymore of knowing what was going to happen to the animals. But then didn't he convene with a bunch of friends who were going to try to put money together for him to create his own slaughterhouse? Oh, yeah. So he could at least have control, control over that. So, while again, acknowledging the fact that I can do what I can do to be humane to my animals during the course of their life, but I understand at that final moment. You have to, but you have to take responsibility that for too. You can't just raise animals and send someone off, else off to do the killing of it. You have to right. make an effort to actually be a part of that system too. 
somebody speaks of the idea of destiny and dominion, I think, yes. in regards to that. Oh, the guy at the paradise, at the, mm-hmm. the slaughterhouse says that in that moment when you're killing those animals and you just have to kind of breathe because right. it's not easy, it doesn't get easy. But even of course there are Jonathan Saffron's yeah. for says, is it, is it a breath taking everything into account or is it a breath to distance yourself? Distance yourself from yeah. it. But again, he can't really speak for that because he's person not, no. who, has, who has and put him or herself either. in that position. Yeah. That, that, that individual has to make up the... the that's what I almost think it's almost braver what the guy who ran the facility was doing than what Jonathan's doing. Jonathan's taking the clean, nice route. Just like, I'm not going to eat animals. I'm not going to be a part of the system. So I can distance myself from that. This man is making, is there in it. And he knows no one, people are not going to stop eating meat. But he is taking the responsibility on his shoulders to try and change and make sure people can have a better quality of meat and be healthier and try and do what he can to protect the system. Even if it's at the cost of his sort of emotions and feeling good about his choices. Whereas Jonathan can kind of be happy with himself because he's pure, which I find kind of, you know. But is, is he then offering the right kind of choice for his son, or is he, is he making demands of what his son should believe as well? As if, yeah. What if his son... What if, yeah, he doesn't talk about that. What if his son who wants to eat meat? How does he, does he, is he bothered by that? He never addresses that, which is sort of a, I didn't think about it. By now, his son has to be of age. Yes. Of a certain age where he can make his own because decisions. Humans are net are to vegetarian species. I mean, we can survive without meat, but you know, we can have both. But it's not instinctually we were never to not eat meat. So you have to let an individual make that relationship with food. And economically, I understand the idea of if you want eat organic yeah. meat. But it's at such an exorbitant price that most of the people who would benefit from it most likely won't be able to afford. Mm-hmm. And that the idea that this factory farming keeps meat at a very minimum cost. But there just needs to be better investment in, you know, um, different technology around food and nutrients and proteins and having, you know, different, because they, in the, again, in the documentary, they go to that, um, the, the vegetarian, the, well, the vegetarian farm where they are testing different yeah. food yeah. alternatives that can give you the, 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 taste, the, of the taste of meat, the supplements, the texture. the texture, and also the protein you would need, and all, what is it called? Beyond Meat, I think Beyond it was? Meat. You know, in investing in that, which at the end of the documentary, it said Purdue has invested in that because it realizes even what they're doing is not sustainable. So trying to make, by forcing companies to invest in something like that, allows people access to cheaper alternatives. That's what you have to do. You have to shift where the money is. So if you, those companies invest in grain-free, you know, meat and the idea is how are you going to get the corporation to, to think differently? Yeah. So the corporation, 
by it by definition isn't compassionate. No. It's just a it's about bottom line. Bottom line profit. The numbers on a spreadsheet. So something else will have to shift before the corporation will shift their perspective on things. Yeah. And, and maybe And maybe that's, that's what is going to have to happen for a corporation if it gets in their interests to change and invest in alternatives. But, it, but it's the same with the car industry. In investing in alternative fuels because you know it's finite. So the system that they've created with meat. And I think disease is going to be a big aspect of it more so than anything. You right. know, people getting sick as a result of the meat and it being inedible essentially because right. it's And more so people and at a greater you know, right. do we, I mean, our only hope is that we don't get to the point of the avian flu and 25 million people have right. to die before it changes the industry. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's usually something, something of that scale that will shock everybody into actually doing something yeah. and altering a... Whether or not we have to get to that extreme, because that's what would happen in the future eventually. Because we already see disease being passed from animals to humans. You wonder why it hasn't already happened on a colossal scale, yeah. given what we see in the documentary of all of the byproducts yeah. of these factory farms being unleashed directly into the environment. I, I don't know if over time we've built up incredible kind of immunities. But it only takes one virus or parasite to make a jump, and then it's and, it, and this time it will have it will happen on the global scale. I did think the uh, the statistic quoted at the end of the film about China trying to reduce the meat intake into its population by fifty percent by twenty. That's quite amazing. Twenty five. I mean, for all of China's faults, they are, I think, you know, obviously, you know, saying it in very general terms, I think they, they are in a situation where they have to think long term. Because there's no stopping how they're growing. Because they know if the continual meat consumption grows, it's not sustainable. People will starve if that's what they rely on. So why is there nowhere in any of this talk about actual human population control. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, the population is too big. That's not sustainable. An animal shouldn't have to pay the cost of our for that. I, I'm not I, sure you can, we can monitor our breeding. <laughs> I'm not sure we can go back and watch our policy. I did, I did like when Jonathan Safran, for put into perspective, you're going, you know, there there could possibly be an alien race out there who is much superior to us and would look at us as we look at animals. Consume us. And consume us because we're seen as something that's less. Well, I think though in China they have there has been more investment in trying to recreate like a lab which is also the same research being into like lab-grown um, organs as well. So trying to make sort of 
these like fake meats in laboratories as an alternative because because we eat more than you know obviously animals breathe so it's impossible so it's again another thing with why you know Purdue or Tyson are not if they're not investing in sort of the science behind that. You know, it's interesting how he says we've we've completely broken off from natural biodiversity. Yes. And we've tried There's to create no cycle of life anymore. Right. We've, we've tried to create these uh, uh, artificial lifespans in, yeah. inside and, and working with lighting and and that you know, that's that's the issue too. The, the world, the way it was built, had everything already worked in, in, a, in, a, in a perfect kind of harmony. But the, but the need, this need for, for uh, more efficiency and more production and accelerated. And for the human benefit rather than the world benefit. I was also astonished by the statistic which, again, I don't, I don't know if it's authentic, but that the amount of feed and grain that goes into... Oh, is more than yeah. humans consume. More than humans consume. Because that's, so that's also making a dent on the farming industry, not on the needs, but for our access to grain and food, which we need as well, because more of it's going toward the animals. So that could feed the starving population. Very much so. A lot of people who need food. Very interesting. And they only eat that much because of what's these artificial uh, things have been, crea have been created. Genetically modified. You know, genetically modified and full of antibiotics. I really do, again, I, I don't know if it's uh, apocryphal or not, but this idea that probably 95% of chicken that people eat does have some kind of pathogen in it and antibodies. People don't understand when I say that I don't really like chicken. It was like, uh, because you have no idea. It's like really questionable meat chicken. I think that he says like beef is probably the most monitored of all the industries. I feel like he talks about a little bit, but I think it's a completely different like, you know, kettle fish is the fishing fisheries and fishing industry, which he only very, and they don't even talk about it in no, the documentary. I think they completely, because I think you would have to have an entirely different book talking about fishing. There was that very effective page when he just, he, it's, I think the whole entire page oh, is yeah. a list of all oh, yeah. of the, the um, oh, here it is. it's not byproduct. Speechlessness and influence, is that where? Yeah, that, but there's also a page where he lists all of the, I forget the, oh, the term, the by... Oh, the bycasts. Bycasts of okay. all the other things that are caught along with tuna. Yeah. That perish and then are just thrown back in the sea. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's such a waste. Every, every type of fish takes a page, yeah. an entire page to list. Because there's no monitoring of what's being caught. It's just sort of, and then they throw everything out. What the, but it's also like the level of waste because it, clearly there are enough fish to feed, but they're not like regulating what they're catching and they're just like tossing. Because all those other fish that they list that are being killed in bycast could be consumed. Right. It's not like inedible. So if people went back to a pure form of farming, I, th I don't. I think at any given time there are enough animals available, even if 
it takes longer for them to be processed. They, they said at one time it was, was it 12 years? Okay. It has now been reduced down to about six weeks yeah. or something in a lifespan. Would, would we really lose that much if we went back to that? I think there would be like a temporary like catch-up point where you wouldn't, that it would have to, you would have to get to a point where it like balances itself out, like kind of readjusts. Right. I know everybody def defends what's happening with factory farming, saying it's commensurate with the demand, but is that demand increasing only because the human population has increased so But also much? it's because of poverty, I think, as well. You know, the 99 cents chicken bucket, you know, it's because people don't have money to buy organic produce because it's so, it's also, there's so few farmers who are legitimately, like, free-range farmers that that's why it's so expensive. If there were more yes. farmers who did it, it would look, down. come down. So because the majority of farmers are factory farmers, that's why you have this really cheap, poorly made, probably dangerous to eat meats. And that's what people who don't have a lot of money are buying because they can't afford the, the $5 chicken. They, afford, they get the 99 cent bucket and it feeds their entire family because they're making horrible minimum wage. But I do, I do think there are really terrible abuses in some of these slaughterhouses. Oh, I'm sure it's disgusting and horrifying, and the stuff we've eaten, we do not want to think about like what <laughs> happened. Yeah, but it's yeah. I mean, it's I, I, I don't think the solution is necessarily becoming a vegetarian, but it's demanding better quality and being conscious and talking about it. I, I, I did like a statement that it's. It's most likely more difficult for a host of a dinner party yeah. to accommodate a sensible omnivore yeah. than it is a that vegetarian. Was very good, I thought yeah. that was a very interesting it's But it's statement. like choosing, you know, there are certain restaurants that I'll choose to eat vegetarian because I, the meat is probably not going to be very good, so I'm better off just eating tofu and it's fine. You don't need to have meat all the time. And I think that's another cultural issue in America. You always have to have meat with a meal. It is a very American it's a thing. Yeah. The Henry will be closed. We hope you've enjoyed your visit. There's a suspicion in America, especially if you have something vegetarian, it's not quite a, a meal. Yeah, you, don't have a, you, you haven't had enough food. I mean, America is notorious for overeating, and people are. And also, America, the number one you know, death is heart disease, obesity because and a lot of it is because of poor diet poor diet you know people eat way too much yeah. and poor choices yeah. maybe not and maybe some of them which are not even in their ability to get out of right. know, because not everyone can afford to go to Whole Foods we all know that it's true because it, there's no yeah not everyone has the option which is no fair for them. It's not their fault that right. they can't afford it. And when, when you have uh, grocery stores that are organized so that at, at the point of purchase, all you have are potato chips, yeah. crisps, so candy pennies. bars. Yeah. I mean, it's structured that way, so you will make those kind of impulse buys. Yeah. 
and you will go to a meat department and there will be lots of things on sale. You get sale. the cheapest one. You will go for the cheapest one. Because you have a family to feed and you can't afford right. the organic version or whatever. <laughs> and that will most likely be the type of meat from that's been well, factory farmed. Yeah. But it's, it, it's, it's not a choice that a lot of People, not everyone is drawn from Saffron Four can make that decision and afford to raise his child vegetarian. Which I don't think he takes into account like the financial scale of it. He's he is very much it is immoral to eat fat free farm food, but not everyone can make that decision. That's true. And can or have the opportunity to think that way. And face it though too, there are there are a lot of problems with the way the fruit and vegetables are yeah, processed as well before they go to a shelf. They're definitely like pesticides that are be and being put in. Yeah. Preservatives to make them look and nice. And force in non-seasonal growing as well. You know, we want strawberries during the winter. That's not normal. No, it isn't normal. And those strawberries are probably not <laughs> made in a normal way either. And at one time, probably the way that uh, fruit was harvested that yeah. you didn't expect to have berries yeah. in the winter time. You had winter fruits yeah. and then there were winter vegetables as well. It's, so It's more than just changing those farms and guilting them and making them feel bad for meeting a demand. It's about a cultural Don't shift. Yes. So it, 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 it extends to more than just the meat industry too. And I'm sure they're just as heavy as corporate holds on fruits and vegetables yeah. as it is on meat. But it is it is ridiculous to ask people and absurd to stop eating meat. Yeah. You can't. It's, it's, it's impossible. It, it will never be done. No. So you have to find... Alternative. You have to support these other options and try and push that. And these, these people who are profiled in yeah. here are really trying their best. Yeah. And it is terrible what happens to, to the man. The turkey farmer. In the in the film. The one, the, the whistleblower. One, the whistleblower. Or, yeah. Whose marriage falls apart. Falls apart, and he has to actually move for work. Yeah. For work, just because he. He was a veterinarian at the big the research center for the U.S. Food for and Drug. Um, the new and, whistleblower. And did the USDA is complicit in a lot of yeah, cover up. As is detailed in there, where they hire their own teams to go in. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are certain things that they lead from their accounts, all under its jurisdiction. Yeah, but it's having places like Neiman's Ranch, I think it was, where he they've created their like community of farms and they, independent, they have independent audits separate from anyone who works within the company. And it's supporting initiatives like that where you can collectively try and create it was it was startling to hear from Temple Grand and even oh, when she went in yeah. for audits that yeah. where they had prior knowledge that they were yeah. coming in and she still saw violations so it led her to think well if this is what I'm seeing now when they are being transparent what is going on when I'm not here looking yeah. after them but like in so many other areas of the world, corporations have a stranglehold on, yeah. on things. So it's really no different. Yeah. Okay. General feelings. Did you like you like the documentary? 
I did, I did. It was, it was a much more generalized yeah. film overview. And I could have done without Natalie Portman's soft narration. Mannered. Yeah. Narration. I would, have, I would have been able to get the points without a very sobering yes. analysis. But I, I did enjoy the book too. I yeah. found it. Uh, I, I, yes, I, his personal intentions about his relationship and with good I thought it was the best. I don't always think he was the right person to be interviewing some of the individuals, um, but I when he gave it over to them and let them write the essay, them write them essays, essays. I thought that was very and good. Stand Apart from it, well, even though most of the time you couldn't help but kind of butt his opinion in there afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but. It's like I understand that you are obviously very principled now about yeah. this, but yeah, you have to let other people. Well, it's just like a religion. You have yeah. to know how to manage it yeah. so you don't become a holy roller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the midst of other people and you yeah. respect the fact that you have another perspective. You can't, you can't decide something like that for other people though, eating. Right. Yeah. But no, I found it illuminating. Yeah. I found both yeah. things illuminating. They were very different creatures, I think. It, the documentary took some of its bases from your factual basis. So it was more about the persons involved. Right, about the persons involved in the industries and those who have had very particular experiences within the industry, which a documentary has to do. A documentary can't really be personalized. So I like the fact that it took just the basis of it and then made its own explorations in the field. So we can recommend both the book and the film to people to enlighten oneself and be more aware of what's going on. I think it's yes, good. be familiar with, yes. with this and make your yeah. own decisions. Choices. And I think saying that it's going to, like in the book, it says it's going to change the way you eat forever is a little bit. I think would not want people to. I think that would be preventative. You should be like, this is a way for you to make just a yes. more informed decision. Really. And things will shift on their own, mm-hmm. I believe. But you just educate. I mean, you make people aware. But don't preach, I think. Right, don't don't say this is the way versus not. I think that's not, doesn't work. Do you, you can't, the more aggressive you are with something like that, the more people are going to back away from you. Right. And it's easy to make apocalyptic statements. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. You, 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 caught, you get caught up in the spirit of it. But yeah. if things will happen as they're going to happen, good or bad. Yeah. And it will it will happen incrementally. It's not going to be a, a major epiphany, yeah. especially in this field. Yeah, it's going to take a while for things to right. And they may just do it naturally, as he was saying too at the end, because as it stands right now, it's unsustainable as a practice. Yeah. So I think things are just going to change anyway, so. naturally. Yeah. Well. Well, good reading, good viewing.